Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 4.0 Solutions podcast. I have with me a lot of great people. We're here to talk about a really interesting topic, uh, the Unified Namespace, MQTT, Spark Plug B, and does it work for enterprise integrations? We have a lot of really interesting topics and a great set of co-hosts here. With me uh, are Jeff Newton, Matthew Paris, and David Schultz. Uh, we're here because Walker is on sabbatical for a little while, uh, and we're going to be uh, covering this topic uh, at length and depth. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So why don't we go around the room? I'm going to go through uh, from top left down to bottom right. Jeff Noonan, uh, as I can see everybody in our, our squares here. Uh, could you introduce yourself for maybe 15, 30 seconds? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Jeff Noonan, um, Chief Technology Officer at Libre Technologies. Uh, we're a company that that builds unified namespace uh, applications uh, and MES applications more generally. Uh, been working with uh, manufacturing uh, and industrial data for 25 years. Uh, that's me. Awesome, awesome, good, thank you. Matt, please. Yeah, I'm Matthew Paris, um, the Senior Manager of uh, Quality Systems uh, for the Manufacturing, Verifying Quality Assurance of the product during the assembly process. And so it, with those systems, of course, we develop um, the architectures for those, and then we also have to manage all the data for those as well, both real-time data and transactional data regarding the records for the performance of the product as it's going down the manufacturing line. Nice. Good. Tough job, no doubt. Dave. Hey, good morning. So David Schultz, I am the owner of G5 Consulting. I've been doing automation process control for a little over 25 years now. Most of my work is with uh, end users, and I also support a number of the system integrators, including Spruik, uh, Matrix Technologies, and of course, Kevin, you and I work quite a bit together at Echobox. So uh, it's great to be here. Good. Thank you for being here as well. Uh, I'm Kevin Jones. I am CEO and founder of Ectobox. We're an industry 4.0 systems integrator and we work with a lot of small and large companies in the United States and also beyond. Uh, and I also should have mentioned at this, uh, the beginning of this uh, uh, podcast here that we are recording for Tuesday, July 26th, 2022. All right, so for this topic about unified namespace, MQTT, Spark Plug B, uh, I'll just read a couple notes here uh, as we were prepping for the call, and then we're going to get into the, the, the conversation. So uh, from our perspective, uh, uh, some of the Industry 4.0 market, uh, the people implementing solutions at companies like Matthew Paris, at systems integrators like ourselves, at product companies like Jeff, uh, the they're starting to understand the capabilities of integrating devices with MQTT and data brokers, people are starting to realize there's a really big uptick on the unified namespace, but the market is now looking at integrating uh, not only just the device data, but the, as I think of it, the transactional data, or uh, in our prior conversation here, Jeff referred to it as the event-driven data. Uh, we can use, I mean, a lot of people know Industry 3.0, do a lot of discrete integrations and a with APIs and databases between a lot of different systems, but that becomes really expensive and difficult to maintain. And uh, uh, so 
what is a good alternative? Well, the idea is to create, as I often say, create that single version of the truth in the middle, that single point uh, where all the data is shared, the data clearinghouse, or you know, I even call it sometimes the, uh, the Grand Central Station of data where data passes through, uh, and then publish and subscribe using MQTT and data brokers and whatnot. Uh, one of the, the difficult things that people have uh, with these concepts is understanding the unified namespace. What is it? Where does it live? Uh, how do you execute it? How do you organize it? And, and all the rest of that. And these have been big topics that a lot of people, including ourselves, have been talking about in the Discord uh, channels and a lot of other places. Uh, so this call will hopefully illuminate uh, a lot of the best practices that we are developing now, today. These aren't longstanding best practices that have been around for 10 or 20 years. These are new ideas and we're settling in on how to really do this stuff. Uh, so this is gonna be a really awesome, hot topic. So to start with, uh, let's get into what is MQTT and Sparkplug B. Uh, Dave, would you mind starting off with uh, MQTT and some of the basics? Yeah, sure. So MQTT was developed in 1999, uh, or well, I should say it was co-developed by uh, Andy Stanford-Clark and uh, Arlen Nipper um, when he was, they were at uh, IBM and the like. And the idea is that there was information that was out in a lot of the remote uh, oil fields, and they used this VSAT information, so these little, uh, very small aperture uh, satellites to try to get information uh, back from the, the, you know, do SCADA, if you will, over a satellite that had very expensive data and very limited bandwidth. It was like a 300 baud connection. So it was what technology exists out there that we can get that information back and how much can we strip out of that protocol to make it as light of a payload as possible. And so working with IBM and their, uh, what is known as the MQ platform, they developed what is now MQTT, which originally stood for uh, message queue telemetry transport. Um, since it has become what an OASIS standard, it is now just known as MQTT is not meant to represent um, anything. It is not an acronym. It's purely just uh, MQTT. And so that's um, where that, that's where the technology comes from. Um, interestingly enough, while it was developed for industry and SCADA applications, early adoption has been anything but. So Facebook Messenger, um, your Apple Messenger, um, your Roomba vacuum cleaner, your garage door, all your smart devices utilize the MQTT protocol, but it wasn't adopted by industry because there were some challenges with it. And um, we'll get into that on the Sparkplug B piece. Uh, Matt, do you want to take Sparkplug B? It looks like you're muted, Matt. Thank you. Um, the popularity of MQTT um, within IT systems seemed to come from the fact that it was a very lightweight and a low utilized low bandwidth. And uh, really that's where the oil fields were making use of it was how do we reduce the amount of bandwidth where bandwidth was very expensive. And uh, so IT systems like Facebook or um, all these messaging apps got to make use of that low um, bandwidth. Now, the other benefit that they got from it was this idea of pub-sub. So that's the other benefit of MQTT that's very different than what most people in the industry are used to. Um, most people are used to a client-server relationship where I have something that has data that I want to get to, and that's the server. And I have a client that wants to consume the data, and that would be the, um, the client. And so you have a client making a 
peer-to-peer -peer connection to the server and then um, is able to get the data. But then that server has to host however many connections as there are clients that want data. So if you have one server that has all the data and you have lots of clients that want it, uh, there's a lot of connections there. And then you multiply that out by however many data sources you have. But with MQTT, with it being a PubSub type protocol, you have a very few number of servers, and those are your MQTT brokers. And then the clients, they just make a single connection to that. And then all the data that the broker is receiving is able to then provide to the client. So what's happening here with MQTT is this idea of decoupling the server from the client. So when the server or the, the thing that has the data, the producer, publishes data to the broker, it doesn't care however many clients out there want the data. It only has one connection going out to the broker. And then uh, on the client side, it's able to make one connection to the broker and receive all the data for all the publishers that have made their connections to the brokers. So in terms of MQTT being a very scalable protocol, that's the, the main benefit of it, is that it's able to uh, fan in and fan out in very large uh, number of dimensions without much uh, taxing on computer hardware, networking connections, and, and et cetera. So I did a lot of talking on, uh, on MQTT without Sparkplug B. So uh, you want me to move into Sparkplug now? So Sparkplug was out to solve a problem that uh, you have with MQTT. So MQTT, the idea was to provide an empty box that would travel across the network that anyone could put uh, any type of data into it. Uh, but there's an assumption that the device that's producing the data, that there's someone out there on the other end that knows how to interpret that data. So there's lots of different ways that you can format data. You can use ASCII strings, like we're used to seeing on the internet when you type in letters. You can use a binary, you can use binary code decimal, you can use um, a zip file, you can do an image. All these things uh, are able to be put into an MQTT packet, but unless the thing, the consumer on the other side of it knows what it is and how to decode it, uh, it's not able to make use of the information. So the first problem that Sparkplug B is solving is standardizing how data should be formatted within a payload of MQTT. So if you look at a network stack, you have Ethernet, you have IP, TCP, MQTT, and then Sparkplug sits on top of that by standardizing protobufs as the encoding scheme. And then Sparkplug, uh, I guess you could call it a data types or information modeling as a way of what data you can um, specify. You can do integers, strings, arrays, um, templates, all kinds of things uh, within Sparkplug. So the first problem that Sparkplug is solving is how do you format data in a otherwise uh, blank slate, blank canvas, in a way that everyone who is going to subscribe can be able to decode the data. Uh, but there's, a, I think, at least two other problems to be solved, but I'll let others chime in. Jeff, do you have a few ideas on some of the other problems that uh, Matt has, hasn't covered? Or Dave, you guys want to chime in? Yeah, so I'll, uh, yeah, so I'll the, jump in there. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so just following on from, from where Matt left there, um, you know, 
I think it's important to, to state that Sparkplug B is really about um, you know, relatively simple data structures. Uh, you know, the standard talks about metrics with, with fairly simple data types uh, attached into those metrics inside that, that defined data type as Matt uh, accurately described it there. So it's, uh, it's really designed for that uh, connection between control system and um, things that are subscribing to control system data. Uh, it's that interaction between the the PLCs and and the layers that are interested in PLC data. Uh, so one of the challenges with Sparkplug B is when you try and cope with other other realms of of data, other domains of data. So say so you you're um, you know looking at a customer order for product coming into a business. Is Sparkplug B something that you would apply to that sort of a message? Probably not. It's not really that sort of data and doesn't really fit that paradigm. So, so Sparkplug B really has its its um, its uh, role to play, uh, but it's a fairly specific role. But is it fair to say then that that role is primarily around device data? Uh, is that a good way to to summarize it? Yeah, look, it's it's fairly clearly laid out in the standard, um, you know, the Sparkplug B standard that it's about edge of network, right, uh, and, and devices at the edge of network, uh, and nodes and devices at the edge of network. And it really talks about metrics uh, fairly clearly, so in, in terms of that payload structure. So a metric being the value of some tag in a, in a PLC controller generally is what you're talking about there. And that can be a string or an integer or a, a, you know, a floating point or a bunch of different scalar types and lists and, and arrays and things. Um, but you're not getting into you know, really complex data types um, that maybe uh, don't exist at the edge of the network uh, or don't exist on a device as such. So the MQTT built, invented to solve problems specifically for Philips 66 in the 90s, uh, developed as a protocol uh, that uh, has been used by a lot of other non-industrial, uh, non-manufacturing uh, organizations, including Facebook. You know, the, the story often told is when you're using Facebook Messenger and you see the uh, ellipses uh, appear after you've sent a message to somebody, that means that somebody else is messaging you. And that's really MQTT behind the scenes. And uh, the uh, phone home kind of idea that cars use for a lot of auto manufacturers uh, so that uh, they can uh, monitor the usage of your car uh, for, you know, driving value for them and, and for you as the driver. Uh, that's MQTT behind the scenes. So then this protocol uh, uh, in the architecture that it requires is a publish subscribe kind of architecture. Uh, just thinking out loud about this, it's a flexible uh, protocol for enabling a lot of different uh, data types and structures to appear. Uh, and uh, the because of the pub sub, uh, it, enables uh, a lot of connectivity to a lot of devices without a lot of heavy requirements and easy setup for the devices. And there's um, the 
uh, edge-driven kind of data too, uh, data going one direction so that you can improve the firewall setups. That's a just a real quick off the top of my head summary of some of the topics that you guys have talked about. Uh, Dave, did I miss anything there before we then start to get into UNS, uh, Unified Namespace? Yeah, we so can, I'd I like just, to revisit yeah, wanna... some of the Sparkplug B ideas, but I want to get into UNS here pretty soon. Yeah, no, I just real fast on Sparkplug, uh, you know, Matthew uh, alluded to there's, there's some other challenges. And the best part about MQTT is you can publish anything. The worst part about MQTT is you can publish anything. And, yeah. and while that's really great for, you know, Facebook Messenger, when you're on the plant floor and you're dealing with these SCADA devices and PLCs, one of the topics that's within that Sparkplug B payload is the idea of a command. Well, you don't want anything to be able to send a command to a PLC. And so you have to put limits around what actually can publish. And so it uses these concepts of what's known as a group ID and a node ID. And there's been plenty of conversations around exactly what that topic namespace looks like in terms of how it's supposed to match up with what we call the plant model, um, which is the structure of the business that uh, we talk about in the UNS. And so that's one of the uh, uh, issues that the Sparkplug B um, wants to address is the idea of the, limiting what can publish to what topic so that we have, we know when the command is sent that yes, this is true, this is valid, I have the ability to go ahead and send that command down type of thing. Um, that's one of them. And of course, the other is just the stateful nature. We need to know is something online or offline because we're dealing with control systems. If there is a node that's offline, other nodes need to know that. And so Sparkplug serves to address that as well because you know, traditionally you'll have an OPC server that is pulling all that information and you'll know if it doesn't get a response back, there's some mechanism to build back in. But if a node goes offline and then because it's report by exception, the other nodes may not be aware that, well, this PLC is offline and, and they, they want to know that. And is there another path they can get there? So those are some of the things that Sparkplug addresses. And while it's great for SCADA data, as Jeff was talking about, it's not great for transactional data. You're not going to have a command that exists within my just uh, created a manufacturing work order. So, and then you're also limited by the fact that I can't have other nodes publishing to that common namespace because the group and the node IDs restrict what can actually publish in. So if there's multiple um, information that I want to publish it to that, that line level, I can't use Sparkplug B for that. So those are some of the challenges that, that we're, we're running across Sparkplug. Yeah, the sweet spot for Sparkplug seems to be at that SCADA level and below, where they have this concept of a primary host or some controlling mechanism, and that would be your SCADA or your HMI, that's able to understand what all is, is going on at the same time. And it's able to control things in a way that's a single point. Or single server. And so the spark plug's nice from the SCADA HMI and down to the PLC level, down to edge, down to sensors. Um, because at that level, you're typically getting telemetry-based uh, data and less transactional data. Um, mostly with your PLCs, you're getting real-time values that are just streaming in uh, all the time. And you want your HMI to be able to display that. You want your HMI to be able to respond to it with notifications, alarms, et cetera. And so, where they've created efficiencies with Sparkplug of creating, uh, they pack in the bits as much as they can on the wire, as much as possible. So it's as, as efficient as it can be. And then the devices like the PLC, when it's publishing, it packages all of its metrics together 
um, in a single publish. And so that helps reduce overhead of lots of publishes within a small amount of time. So they've really optimized uh, a specific part of the automation stack uh, with Sparkplug. And so as people are starting to try to use Sparkplug in higher levels of the enterprise, that's where uh, there's the struggles coming of like, well, it doesn't seem as appropriate or it seems to have its limitations with how do we handle this use case or that use case. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of those use cases? I'd say that might be a good topic to get into next as we start to segue into to unified namespace. Uh, Jeff, do you want to talk about, uh, so we've talked uh, about device yeah, data. Just, just, yeah, yeah, please one, go ahead. One thing on, on Sparkplug B that we haven't mentioned, which is a huge plus for Sparkplug sure, sure. B, uh, actually is that it enables discoverability. So the, the uh, Sparkplug B standard and the protocol has in it the ability to publish all of the tags that are accessible um, from a, an end device, whether they're publishing metrics at the time or not. So that really allows you to um, you know, have a, a SCADA system, which is, which is almost sort of self-configurable to an extent based upon adding devices in the field, which is a, a massive benefit of Sparkplug B over straight MQTT. Does that enable uh, systems integrators and uh, OEMs, product companies, to be able to create systems that are self-aware? Uh, I'm not quite sure that we could go as far as self-healing, but you can become aware of new devices, new components, and, uh, and new data available, and then start to act on that new data without having to do any configuration uh, on in the data broker or in, uh, any other end system. Yeah, it's uh, I've, you know some of the demos that we've worked on is I just connect up something that produces intelligence and in any other system that wants to consume that intelligence is consuming it just by the, the mere fact that I connected the intelligence to that to that network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to I'm glad you brought that this point up, uh, Jeff, because this is probably one of the biggest innovations. Um, regarding Sparkplug is the idea to discover things that were not there before. So in my mind, if we're talking about Industry 4.0, um, a lot of the benefit is going to be automating the integration of things, automating the ability of things to connect to one another without having a human have to manually wire it in or map it or uh, pipe it together. So you can think about there's protocols out there for just general network infrastructure. There's routing protocols. There's a host of other uh, concepts that allow networking gear when you connect them up together to know about each other and to negotiate about who's going to handle what traffic, which routes should be used, what's the preference, um, what's what's the most efficient path through a network. All that's happening in the background and we're, getting, we're making use of that today. But we don't have those abilities really at the application layer, layer where you have an application and it needs to know are there any more devices out there that I care about? Um, today, if we talk about adding a PLC or a work cell, you bring the equipment into the plant, you're going back to your SCADA or HMI system, and you're telling it, hey, I have a new piece of equipment. You're pointing to that IP address. You're saying, these are the tags that I want to pull in. You subscribe to those. And then now you've just initiated this kind of exchange of data and perpetuity of it, the SCADA knowing about the system having to go down and connect to it and then retrieve the data. 
but MQTT uh, with Sparkplug flips it on its head. It turns it all upside down. So it's saying that a SCADA HMI system is out there waiting for anything to join and, and consume its data. And so when you have a new work cell come into the plant, the work cell is authorized to connect to the broker. So it says you will publish your data here. And then uh, with that, the HMI and SCADA is able to automatically ingest that data in there. So you've just automatically automated the idea of bringing in a piece of equipment and then having that appear in all the systems that need it. And so if you just have the simple example of a dashboard, um, as soon as you connect that piece of equipment to the plant floor, to the network infrastructure, to the MQTT broker, that piece of equipment can show up on the dashboard without anyone lifting a finger on the HMI or SCADA system. And so to me, that's a huge benefit because that represents what should be happening with the rest of the enterprise. So that's just a very simple example of the HMI, but what is that gonna happen for your historian? What's gonna happen for all those other systems that are up in the, um, the ERP later, the, the MES later, later as well? So all those applications should be able to see, I have a new thing, a new piece of equipment, I have a new asset, I have a new uh, device that's able to consume work orders, whatever it is, and automatically be able to adjust and um, make use of that. So let's start to get into the unified namespace. I'd like to come back to some of these topics we're talking about here. For unified namespace, Dave, would you mind giving us the the early or the basic uh, definition? Yeah, so the uh, unified namespace is the single source of truth for all your data and events, and it is the structure of your business. And it's not so much of oh, I just need to put a broker into my plants and now I have a unified namespace. It's sort of, but there's a little more to it. So what's happening with a unified namespace, from my standpoint, it's, a, it's an architectural decision. It's a strategy that by having all of the intelligence that is, that is publishing from the plant floor, from all these various systems, even from the ERP, that there's a structure and there's an understanding of where does, does that data make sense? And so it's when I'm working on, say, a manufacturing work order on a line, and that information is coming from, say, an ERP, that I will have that sitting in an ERP-type topic. And so it becomes, again, it's that, that design methodology for data belongs where it makes sense. Um, and then it's also utilizing a, a pull, or excuse me, a, a publish, uh, subscribe-type topology where when intelligence is uh, created, as uh, Matthew was talking about earlier, I published to that broker and now it's made available. So it takes advantage of this uh, report by exception. And speaking a little bit to the structure of the business, generally we follow the master data model because oftentimes the, the master data model or the common data model follows an ISA 95 part two structure of enterprise site area line cell. We wanna uh, replicate that from the overall structure of what's happening in the unified namespace. So from an architecture perspective, then it's that enterprise site area line cell idea that is that structure. So that's how we're grouping and organizing the data across the organization. And then that is what makes it a model of the plant. Is that a fair way to summarize? Yeah, it, it's the model of the plant. It's the structure of the business uh, plant model. You can use those uh, words interchangeably. And then when data is published and information is provided, it lands in the bucket 
that makes the most sense for that. So data that's produced at the cell will exist in the cell um, or data that's that's relevant to the cell will be produced in the uh, and consumed at the cellular at the cell level and those types of things. And so one of oh, go ahead, Kevin. Uh, no, I was going to kind of summarize some some more points here. So what we're effectively doing then is combining the data broker with MQTT and the unified namespace and saying, okay, let's connect to all these different things through PubSub, getting the data uh, organized in some kind of a structure, the model of the plant, if you will, enterprise site, line cell, uh, uh, into this, this unified namespace. Uh, before I go on with one of, of course, those key questions, feel free to throw out whatever else you're going to talk about. Yeah, so it's that it's that topic namespace. I, I guess you know I mean, I'll make sure I, I'm, I'm clear about the, the you know, when we talk about the structure. So within MQTT, there's what's known as that topic namespace, and those are the topics that the UNS, this architecture, this strategy will uh, serve to replicate, so that whenever information is published, it's published to that topic. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that that makes a little more sense in, in how that's um, you know how, how that's being uh, the message is being relayed. But it's not just a broker, it's a design methodology, it's structuring all of that, you know, again, it's the single source of truth for all data and events. So, and it's in the structure, so that information needs to make sense, you know, rather relative, semantically, that anybody can look at it and know exactly what it is, where this information is coming from, based on that topic namespace. So if the um, unified namespace is a, is a structure and architect, uh, at, but it's not the data broker, then where does it live? Go ahead, Matthew. Matt, you were going to, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I don't know that Unified Namespace is really a broker. I think it's more mm -hmm. of the um, the definition of how you're going to organize your data, and that data resides in a single location. So I think you could solve that problem in several different ways. And uh, so th that's the idea of the UNS. So then the idea is, well, what's the best way, or what's the most efficient way to realize this idea of I have all of my data for the business. I have a organization of that data in a way that makes sense. So anyone in the business is able to find whatever data they need. Uh, all the data is transparently available to people who have uh, authority to see that data. And so then what is the technology that is best suited to solve that problem? Um, so a lot of people say MQTT is um, that's one way to do it, and that allows you to use the PubSub architecture and uh, the ability to do wildcard subscriptions and whatnot. Um, you could also just have simple uh, client-server um, relationship. You could do it that way too, but then you're, you're stuck with the problem of everything having to connect into one thing, and now you're having to serve all these different connections across uh, the business, and that could be turned into a spider web as well. So there's pros and cons to be evaluated uh, for various applications because we're talking about at the, the top level of the business here of you're connecting in your ERP, your MES, all these microservices, micro applications that are trying to get at data, do something with the data and then uh, push back what it knows of the data and it, maybe it's uh, consuming it in a way and turning it into more valuable information. So um, there's, way, there's different ways to handle that. But I think the most common way you'll see is uh, through MQTT technology. Okay, so you're saying that uh, MQTT uh, with a hub and spoke architecture is not the only way to do a unified namespace. There are others. However, having looked at those other options like client server, et cetera, with discrete connections, et cetera, they become difficult to maintain. So 
so far to date, at least, what's widely known uh, and best fit is uh, this idea of publish subscribe uh, in, to how, I don't want to say house, but to implement the unified namespace. Is that a fair summary, Matt? Yeah, it seems to be the most popular uh, way at this point. Yeah. Fair, fair. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, are there other options for uh, a unified namespace beyond the options that we've talked about? What are some of the options you are aware of? Yeah, look, there are. Um, and I think the, you know, the way to think about unified namespace, uh, you know, the concept is, you know, a standard, a standard way to go and look at your information where the naming of everything is fairly consistent and things that are the same are kind of named the same way and have the same sets of properties and, and um, you know, things look good when you look into your data. Um, this as a concept is something that's been around for a very long time and anybody who's worked in a, in a data warehouse or in a reporting database will, will be familiar with the concept of of you know, a standardized ontology for business data, uh, where you know, the, the way things are named are the way that the business people would, would recognize. Um, they're not you know, what you would have in a database schema, for instance. Um, and so there's this, this standardized naming aspect to the UNS, um, but what complicates it is, is when we step out of the sort of reporting domain or the, the analysis domain even and bring it into the real time uh, and the event driven um, domain because then we're starting to, to step out of the area where you have all of the, you know, the nice tools that, that we have for, for data warehouses, for, for data transformation and, and extract ETL and these sorts of things, and we're trying to put those into a real-time, um, you know, application stack. And uh, it's easy enough when we're in that SCADA um, and and PLC or SCADA and device or sensor domain because we're dealing with relatively simple concepts of you know, sensors uh, publishing values or, or PLCs publishing state. Uh, and there's not that much uh, transformation happening in that sort of data layer. But when you move up into you know, a, a single repository for your business data or the source of truth for all business data and events, uh, you start to have to consider a much broader uh, range of data and types and, and, and sources. So, um, you know, being an MQTT, broker as a, as a source, um, yeah, an MQTT broker can retain messages. So it's kind of like a database. Um, if you, if you retain the messages in there, when you subscribe to the broker, you can get the last published message. So you can, you can retrieve the current state of things, but it has some downsides, which, uh, you know, your ability to access history and, and your ability to query the information in there effectively. And so, you know, it's, you, you don't get very far with the unified namespace before you, you start to reach for those, those other capabilities. Uh, and so, 
yes, publish, subscribe uh, is still something that that is very relevant when we're talking about a, a real-time system. And yeah, event-driven is the other concept that that comes into these architectures. So we don't want to have that sort of extract transform load type batching of information flowing through. We want, you know, when something happens, something else responds to that and, and creates a new event which triggers something else. So we want that real-time flow of information. Um, so there's quite a few concepts there that all come together and we quickly get outside of the, the capability of an MQTT broker only. What are the other options? Um, you know, the, there's, there's a range of ways that we can have publish, subscribe. Um, and there's a, way, a range of ways that we can uh, provide an access to a data source. Uh, you know, APIs uh, have been around, but one that's, that's uh, newer that also does the subscription part is GraphQL. Um, that's a, an, a, an API that allows you to query like you were querying a database, but it's, it's an API uh, to query data, but also to be able to subscribe. So you can do publish subscribe in effect, um, including not just the current state of data, but also you know, any data, history or time series data um, through a GraphQL API. It's not a replacement for MQTT, but it's an it's an also. So you would you would have a publish subscribe broker in your stack. You also will have databases of one form or another, and you will also need to query the information in your UNS uh, at some point. So you need all of these tools in your tool bag. So. Uh, to summarize some of the ideas we're talking about, MQTT uh, data brokers, uh, MQTT especially good for the device data. Let's think of a, a organization uh, vertically, uh, carpeted office, uh, concrete floor devices, uh, end of node uh, network. So these devices uh, can communicate really well, real time with the data broker. Uh, and that's really what it was built for, Phillips 66 and, and on. Uh, but we're talking about the transactional systems, the systems that uh, where you want to query the data, uh, as you had said, you want to be able to go beyond just the reporting capabilities. And we're talking about different types of data, event-driven data, transactional data, which is data from ERP systems, CMMS or maintenance systems, uh, uh, other systems, some other more complex data that will exist in uh, MES systems. Uh, and so at that point, we're talking about, uh, is there an alternative or an addition to MQTT? And you're talking about GraphQL being a, a knowledge uh, graph uh, uh, structure, uh, being a place where you can do the queries and also subscribe to data. Uh, and to do that with this more transactional or event-driven data. Uh, and so, as you had said, just kind of using your words, Jeff, that becomes an and, not an alternative, or becomes an also. Is that a fair way to summarize everything you said? Yeah, I think, I think so, Kevin. Yeah, you did a good job of summarizing there. Um, and essentially, you have 
telemetry data which we all we all know and love right that's that's the sensors and the devices and the machines that are streaming information at us um, that's great stuff uh, for streams of information coming through in, in MQTT we have events which are you know important things that might trigger other things to happen um, that we need to respond to they're also good uh, things to have flowing through MQTT, right? Um, but then we can get to a command, which is slightly different to an event. We think of an event as something that has occurred, right? So um, Dave joined the podcast. That might be an event. And by Dave joining the podcast, that might trigger an, another action to occur. Or it might trigger uh, a command. So when Dave joins the podcast, Kevin might need to leave the podcast. And so there might need to be a, a command there that says, please leave the podcast, um, you know, as an example. So a command is a request to do something in the future, not uh, a description of something that's happened in the past. And that's a subtle difference but it has a completely different um, service level attached to it uh, because I don't just want to know that you've received the command. I want to know that you've actioned the command, which is a very different prospect, right? So when I, uh, when I publish an event, it's acceptable to say, okay, I've told you about this event. Did you receive that that message. Are you aware that, that this event has been published? What you do with it is up to you at that point. The command is very different because I'm asking you to do something and I want you to tell me that you've done it or that you've at least processed it in some way, not just not like my children. I heard you tell me to do that and I've I've received that message and now I'm going to ignore it and not do it. So <laughs> Uh, you know, that's, that's not an acknowledgement that you've done the, you've, you've uh, taken the command on board, right? So, so when we get into commands, um, that's where some of the MQTT protocol falls down um, in that it wasn't really designed for transactions in that way, where it's a command to do something and the, the client has the ability to go off and process that command and later come back with an acknowledgement that yes, that command has been processed. 